I'm Beth. And I'm Jamie. Welcome to Driver Picks the Podcast. Where I pick the podcast. And I shop me home. I feel like you get more and more incoherent with every episode. <laughs> like, it's I know main... what you're saying, and I still am kind of like, what the fuck did she just say? It's what, the mind rot? The brain rot? The brain rot. Yeah. Brain rot, brain worm, same diff. Anyway, in this week's episode, we're going to be discussing the 19th episode of the first season of Supernatural titled Provenance. Jamie, what did you think? Okay, I'm going to start at the beginning of the episode. The couple that gets murdered. Yes. I want their kitchen. It's gorgeous. Did you see their kitchen? Oh my God. So, oh. Rich people houses. Oh. Like a lot of things in rich people houses, I'm like unnecessary. Unnecessary. But then like I see a good rich people kitchen, I'm like, Mm, mm-hmm. fuck yeah sign me up when i build a house whenever that may be or buy a house whenever that may be you can bet your bottom dollar probably the most important thing to me will be the kitchen like the functionality the the size the equipment in there like it is just so important I actually the whole house like the bits that we see super tasteful super gorgeous super nice like, lots of floor space mm-hmm. which is like great for entertaining mm-hmm. Oh, and then the picture. Hardwood floors. And then the picture, which looks fucking horrible. Literally, like they're like, wow, it's kind of creepy. I'm like, yes, it is creepy. Why would you want that in your lounge room? Why would At anyone? least they didn't put it in the bedroom. Oh my God, can you imagine? Oh. While we're talking about interior design. Yes. The motel the room. The motel room. Yeah. I, so there's like this in like this ongoing joke and I don't remember where it started, but it's basically that the set designers of Supernatural are competing to make the ugliest possible motel room. Because all of them are hideous. Like, and this one is particularly hideous, and I love that they make a point of it, and then it is completely irrelevant. Like, they make a show of them entering the hotel room, or motel room, showing that it's insane. They kind of have a, huh, moment, and then they just... They shrug it off, and they the go camera and the rest on. of the rest. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, you made a point of it, and then it was so irrelevant. It literally looks like a disco ball threw up in that room. Can you imagine if they'd done the Bloody Mary episode in there? I want my entire house to look like that. <laughs> you want your entire house to look like a 70s club? Yes. That's it. Questionable. I'm, I'm, I'm throwing out like my tasteful like industrial styling with like minimalist touches. Yeah. With like... A heritage feel. Yeah. Like, I'm getting rid of all that. I want to look like a disco ball from the 70s throughout over my entire house. Amazing. There's going to be so much glitter. Yeah. We're going to, like, rub it into yeah. the into the tiles yeah. and, like, the grout. And... I'm going to get my cream paint on the walls that I've currently chosen. And I'm going to just get, like, you know, like the, like, the glitter paint you buy? Yes. I just paint my entire house with it. Love that for you. Love that for your house. I don't even know how to how to continue on with that. Yeah, I feel like it's fitting though for us to be discussing interior design twists in an episode about a painting. Yeah, especially a fucking hideous painting. Yeah, it's so horrible. And like, I get the first couple is kind of like, oh, you know, we were that's why... a charity auction. We bought it basically kind of as a joke, but also just to support this charity. Yeah, which is like okay, that's like a fair enough reason. But then the second lady who bought it. After knowing its previous two owners just got fucking brutally murdered, bought it like two days later, and also, also offered bought it- a lot of money, yeah. which is like textually confirmed. That's why they sold it, because she paid so much money. To be fair, it does match her aesthetic. 
Like, it looks much more like it fits in her house than it looked like it fit anywhere else. But it also makes me question her aesthetic. (laughs) That that horrible painting fits in to her pre-established home. It was a choice to make the painting that hideous. Yeah, I don't understand why anyone's buying the painting. Neither do I. It is so... It's not appealing. No, it is not appealing. The entire plot is bullshit because of that. I love that they actually keep pointing out, like various characters throughout the episode keep pointing out that the painting's actually pretty fucking ugly. Yeah. <laughs> Including I mean, Sarah, who's like the, the art dealer as well. Like she's like, um, I mean, I guess. <laughs> speaking of Sarah. Yes. She's never going to reappear, is she? No. <laughs> I know. They, they make these characters and I'm like, Wow. I really like these characters. Yeah. And then they just never appear again. Yeah. And it's like, even at the end of the uh, episode where like, she's like, oh, like, come visit me sometime. And he's like, I will. And it's like, spoiler alert. He won't. (laughs) We never hear about Sarah again. Oh, actually. Hang on. 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 I might stand corrected. Oh, I'm right. Um, my apologies. She does come back. But not for a long time. And it's not insignificant, but, like, I did forget. So take what you want from that. But yes, no. So she does She does recur. But eventually. Eventually. Down the line. And I'm assuming she shows up once. Yes. So she only she only recurs once. And it is, it, like I said, it's not, it's not not important when she comes back. But it's also, like, I forgot it happened. Yeah. <laughs> It's not, it's not like plot. It's overshadowed by other things. Yeah. Yeah. Particularly in the season that she ends up back in. Like, it's a pretty insignificant plot point. Considering. All things considered. Look, as much as I love her as a character, and Mm -hmm. I do love her as a character, she ignores so many goddamn red flags. I know. (laughs) Sam's just out here, like, flip-flopping, like, nobody's goddamn business. (laughs) And she's like, yep, still into it. I know. I love the part where she's, uh, they're digging the grave. And she's like, you guys are, like, weirdly comfortable with this. And he's like, yeah, look, it's not the first grave we've dug. You still think I'm a catch? <laughs> Which, A-plus line, the delivery was spectacular. But oh, also, like, so he's good. not wrong. Like, yeah. why is she still into him? I know, it makes no fucking sense. Which I think is one of the reasons why I think she would have been a really great character to have pop back up. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, Because she's insane. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Low-key insane, but also, like, insane in a way that matches Sam's insanity in a, like, really nice complimentary way. Yeah, yeah. And because she, like, she's really good as, like, a potential love interest for Sam because not only does she sort of match him in, like, just being willing to accept the insanity, she's also, like, like she wants to be involved and yeah. she wants to physically help them out and stuff. But also, like, she's not immediately scared off which is like you say ignoring a huge red flag but like kind of good in that sense yeah but also she what like, makes her a, a bit of an idiot as a person makes her a really good, good match, match for, for sam. sam but also she like has similar interests as him outside of hunting yeah. like she's interested in what his education was and like they did the art history like they could bond yeah. over that a little bit and like we know that sam's like a history nerd and like we learn like later that he's a true crime nerd as well which is endlessly hilarious but you know i wonder if he's heard the story of that one serial killer called dean winchester yeah this is the thing it's like how many 
true crime stories that are like unsolved or whatever does Sam listen to on like a podcast and be like, oh, hey, that was us. <laughs> it's such a funny concept to me that Sam is just like ticking off like a list of true crime podcasts. Like, oh yeah, that was me. That was Dean. That was dad. That was, I just find well, that, that was so funny. And Dean. I just find it hilarious. But do you think he ever, while we're talking about him being a true crime nerd, yeah. do you think he ever like listens to a podcast, right? He listens to it and he's like, huh, that's kind of weird. And he mentions it like offhandedly to Dean what happened. And Dean just goes, oh yeah, that was us. Like that, yeah. that was me and dad. Like, <laughs> oh yeah, that was while you were at Stanford. Yeah. Um, it was a vampire. <laughs> Actually, speaking of crime and history nerds, the guy who helps them at the library with the glasses, who's like so excited and brings them like the newspaper article. I love him. I love his energy. He was just so excited to like get in there and help these like guys find this information about this like fucking centuries old crime. Very fun. Loved his energy. He was like a crime-obsessed Santa Claus, and I was here for it. <laughs> Circling back to Sarah, but also to rich people. Yes. The art, like, dealership scenes. I I love Dean. I do think that this really encapsulates your previous points about him being a bit useless at talking to people. Yeah. He was fucking hopeless. And I'm like, dude, I get it. You think these rich people are like... Like, you don't like them because of classism and stuff. And, like, you understand that these people think you're a scum and, like, yada, yada, yada. And, like, that's why you're, like, making fun of it all. And, like, you know, you see but the also, pan across all the fancy cars. You see baby looking, like, you know, dirty. And, like, you, you get it. Talking about the pan across the cars, did you notice the Easter egg? The 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 crib? The crib. Yeah, I did notice that, actually. I was I wondering if you would notice. Like... Oh, I'm so proud of you for noticing. Look at you go. <laughs> But yeah, like you see like the pan across all these like very like shiny, like manicured, like sports cars. And then you come to the Impala, which is a beautiful car in and of itself, but it's like dirty and like the uh, They clearly actually is... use their car for something other than like yeah. driving to and from the club. Yes, exactly. And you know, and then you go inside and there's all these people with champagne flutes and they're all in fancy, you know, not like formal, not like black tie, but like fairly formal where like the men are in suits and things and... Then you have these guys in their like leather jacket and plaid, and they clearly don't fit in. Here's the thing: they've shown that they are willing to rent the clothes and dress to up fit to fit the part. Yeah, the part better. They are pretending to be art dealers. What sort of art dealer fucking looks like that? I know because they don't even like. Here's the thing: if they were just wearing like, you know, a button-down shirt and some slacks, I would get it. Yeah, they're not. They're in, like the full like they're in jeans. Yeah, like. They don't have to, like, rent out a full suit like they did when they were pretending to be FBI. Yeah. But, like, just slightly nicer clothes. And I was thinking that as well. And then, for some reason, I don't know, I didn't pick on who wrote this episode. So, I'm not going to say too much about, like, the writing styles. But Dean was just, like, particularly an asshole this episode. Especially coming right off the back of Something Wicked, where we got such a, like, in-depth thing about, like, him you know, put in those situations from when he was a kid and a lot about who he is as a person. And then it was like a massive flip-flop into this episode where he just, like, is very much, like, flirting with everyone, like, flirting with all these women and, like, blatantly lying to them and then, like, laughing about it and, like, being hungover on the job and being completely useless at pretending to be, like, an art investor and, like... Because that's part of their job. And if, yeah. if they had shown up wearing something that made them blend in more, yeah. and they had been polite 
and managed to spin a story about how they were art dealers. You know, they hadn't had a chance to inquire about getting onto the list. and you yeah. know, But they had some clients that were incredibly interested in a couple of the pieces. They were looking to pay, you know, top dollar for... like. Yeah. Sorry, we would have called ahead, but we actually just heard about this last minute. We were just passing through town. We hope you don't mind. Like, like yeah. If they'd spun... Money would have won out. Yeah. Like they just demonstrate this later in the episode when money won out in terms of selling the painting the second time. It doesn't make sense to me why yeah. they pretend to be like they do the full dress up thing to pretend to be FBI, but yeah. they won't do like even a half dress up thing to be to... an art dealer. And like it's not like it's just the FBI because we've also seen them impersonate fucking members of the church. You know, like, it's not like, or or, uh, maintenance or security. Like, we've seen them do this. We know they're capable of it. But for some reason, they just decide not to. And yeah, you're right. It it makes no sense. And it kind of, it does make Dean look like kind of a fucking idiot. Which annoys me because it's like... As much as I joke about him not having the brain cell most of the time, like, he is capable of his job. Yeah, very much so. And Sam... As well, like, as the show likes to point out, is the more, like, academic of the two. He would be the most likely. Like, he went to pre-law. He would have gone to things like college events. Like, we have, like, what is it? Like, business ball or whatever. Law ball. Like, he would have been to formal events before. He did an art history. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. He did the art history course. He knows the kinds of people who are going to be. He went to fucking Stanford. He knows what kind of people are going to be in this place. And he knows that looking like that, he's going to stand out like a sore thumb. thumb and that that's going to raise more questions and be more likely to get them kicked out and less likely to be able to find what they need to find. Yeah, exactly. And it's just like, I get that you don't respect these people who are out here buying someone who's just recently been murdered stuff because they have a lot of money. Like, I understand that. But it's also like being an asshole is not going to help your cause. It's going to get you kicked out. Like if you want to prevent more murders, you just have to kind of like grin and bear it. Grin and bear it. Yeah. Deal with it. It's not that hard. And even I think in season two or three, one of the two, they have to go into a similar situation. It's very formal, like black tie formal. They dress up for that. Like, they're capable. Why is it this one episode they decide not to? Like, yeah, it just, it feels very out of character. Like, it just, it feels sloppy. Mm. And if anything's been established throughout the series thus far, it's that these characters are professionals. And, like, yes, they make some questionable decisions. Yes, some of the plot points were kind of like, eh, what are you kind of doing? Like, Dean, yeah. like, what are you doing? Sam, what are you doing? But the show itself is trying to establish they are good at what they do they are good at lying they are good at getting into these places they are good at being undercover and then this episode just kind of fucking throws it all out the window for seemingly no reason look it might have made more sense if it was earlier in the season yeah in terms of like establishing the characters establishing the characters and they were trying to establish like the personas but it's like at this point we've watched almost an entire season we're what three episodes out of finishing the the season yeah at this point, they've established who they are as people. Now they're trying to establish that they are good at their jobs. Yeah. Like, they've moved on from just establishing, like... The character. The character. They are brothers. They both have daddy issues, but in significantly different ways. They are now trying to establish that these two brothers, when they work together, they are capable 
of killing a lot of fucking bad shit. Yeah, exactly. And it, yeah, it just, I feel like we've maybe gone on about this for too long, but... Yes, we definitely have. To me, it really just feels very, it's a very weird choice to kind of retcon this late in the season, especially Mm. the fact that they're good at what they fucking do. Like, they're making stupid choices and it's very frustrating to watch. I'm going to bring it back to Bugs Mm. for half a second just while we're talking about this because they have a very similar situation in Bugs where they go to the free barbecue for the house agent. All of those people are rich enough to afford the fucking mini McMansions in that neighbourhood. They are all rich white people and yet they still managed to be more polite in that situation than they did at this art auction, you know what I mean? At the casual barbecue. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, it helps that that is a casual barbecue, so they already kind of looked like they fit the part. Yeah. But, yeah, it's it still doesn't make any sense. Why they were so rude. Yeah, and, like, I understand it being played up for the, like, comedy aspect, mm. but it's also, like, there's doing something for, like, comedic effect, and then there's doing something, like, beating a dead horse. Like, because yeah. they kept making a point of it. Like, I think Dean said something that was, like, completely out of turn or, like, you know, like, when uh, the owner of the art dealership comes up and is like, can I help you, gentlemen? And he said, yeah, a glass of champagne would be great. If they had then been, like oh my god, Je- Dean genuinely didn't realise that he wasn't a server, when Sam goes, he's not a butler. Like, if they had, like, made that the last thing, then and that then, would have been yeah. one thing. But the fact that then Dean makes fun of him, like, two more times within that conversation... And it's like, this is the guy who's probably going to be instrumental in actually working out what the fuck is killing these people. Yeah, like, he owns the fucking thing. Yeah. It just okay, moving on. Silly. I feel like we're dead, beating. Yeah, we're beating. We're beating the dead horse. We are now. now beating the dead horse. Do you have a point you would like to make next, or can I just barrel straight on? Please barrel ahead. Why don't they steal the frame? <laughs> Why don't they just? Yeah. Surely it's quicker to literally pick up the just frame and take it than like cut out the fucking portrait in the middle. Yeah. Because also, how do they know that it's like the portrait and not the something frame. in like? I had this thought too when I was watching it and the only thing I can think is that they can't carry it as effectively because like if you just cut out the the middle, the canvas part, you can just like roll it up. But like if you have the frame, it's really bulky and like we showed when they were getting in, like they had to climb up that giant fence thing. Like it'd be much harder. I guess they could just like lob it over. But like they're only going to burn it. They're only going to burn it anyway. Yeah. Matter if it gets damaged. But I mean, that would make a lot of noise and stuff as well. But, yeah, that was the only thing that I could think which would be an explanation, other than, obviously, the plot point of, like, the painting reappearing. But they could have, I guess, just reappeared the whole frame as well mm. if they wanted to. Um, yeah, the only thing I could think was that it was the practicality of them having to, like, cut it out and, like, roll it up, like the Declaration of Independence mm. in the fucking, um... <laughs> what's that? Oh, what's National called? National Treasure. Treasure. Yeah. <laughs> While we're talking about that, I kind of wish that they hadn't shown us, like, the painting reforming. I kind of wish that we just saw, like, when, when Sam, Sam sees saw, it. Yeah. And so that it was sort of like the Sam was with the audience. Yeah, that there. would have been So fun. that, like, the audience at the same time as Sam is seeing the painting and going, holy. Yeah, I loved that reaction. Him just going, oh my god. And her being like, what? And him being like, it, that painting, it just looks so good. <laughs> and then she's like, Really? Like, yes, that is a normal and proportional reaction to a hideous oh. painting. I'm like, oh, the funniest, the f- 
funniest the funniest thing, thing is you can see on her face though that is the one red flag that she's almost not going to ignore yeah every other red flag she doesn't even hesitate but him liking the painting she's like oh don't know if I can handle his interior design tastes I know I love that reaction it's so funny and um, I love when she's like oh like are you seriously interested in it and he's like no god no <laughs> Actually, the lead up to that scene uh, is another, it's another instance in this episode of them just not being very good at their jobs. Where Dean's like, I've lost my wallet. I think I left it at the warehouse last night. Bro, why did you bring your wallet? No. You weren't going to buy anything. You didn't. You've entirely (laughs) missed the entire point of that. And the point of that is not that Dean has lost his wallet because he hasn't. The point of that is... Dean wants to get Sam back to the auction house so he can force Sarah upon him. I literally have never read it that way in my entire life. Is that how you read it? Mm-hmm. Because when does he have a chance to find the wallet after getting caught by Sarah? I was and he would have, if he'd found it earlier, he would have said something. See, I... I don't think he left his wallet. I think he pretended to leave his wallet so that Sam would be forced to go back to the auction house with him so that... He can play wingman. I mean, maybe. I always thought that Dean found the wallet just as Sarah was talking to Sam because he's like in the background and then he sort of tells Sam, hey, I found my wallet. It's all good. When he's like, oh, by the way, here's that $20 I owe you and very deliberately takes it out of his wallet. Like I always thought that that was like the scenario, but I guess it could be read like either way. When he pulls out his wallet, because you don't see him, like, looking anywhere else between, like, getting caught by Sarah and him pulling out his wallet. So I read it as it was never... He lied to get Sam Sam to the auction house so that... I mean, yeah, I've literally never considered that, but I, like, I see exactly where you're coming from. Because especially throughout this episode, like, Dean really harps on about Sam, like, needing to get it on, I guess, but... Also, I wanted to ask you, this is the first time we've heard about Jess in a while. And I think it was nice to bring up the fact that Sam is still sort of, like, grieving her. But I wanted, like, I don't know, your thoughts on Sam and his sort of opinion on himself and relationships. Because he has that whole discussion with Sarah. Yeah. Which, like, I get where he's coming from, but also, like... I feel like if he was trying to basically be like, look, you seem really nice, I really like you, but also, like, this isn't going to work, that's not the angle he should have maybe gone for. Hmm. Like, I probably would have expected him to lean more into, like, the whole, like, I don't stay in one place for very long at all. Like, physically, I just, I can't see you, I can't visit you. Like, there is no real point starting something. Like, I don't want to... I mean, she does have, like, a very valid point, though, when he's like, oh, people around me get hurt, and she's like... I could get hit by a fucking car tomorrow, like... She's right, though. She literally could die tomorrow. And, like, I love that line because it always reminds me, like, yeah, actually, she's right. I could get hit by a bus tomorrow. And it, like, reminds me that I shouldn't, like, worry so much about the things that I'm worried about in my day-to-day, I guess. I'm like, yeah, I could die tomorrow. Kind of puts things in perspective a bit, I guess. She does very much have a point of, like, she's a grown woman. She can make her own decisions. Here's the thing, I would think it was very shitty of Sam to not tell her. But, like, she is fully informed of the risks. Yeah. She, like, 
Jess now that wasn't. she just wasn't like that's a different situation altogether. I also think because Sam had been out for so long, he doesn't really think of it as a risk. Like when Jess dies, it's not something that he's like people around me get hurt. Yeah, <laughs> because no one around him has gotten hurt in Since a while. Mary. Yeah. Because he's and because recently he's been out of the life. Like mm. he's not involved with that anymore. He sort of I I would assume that he sort of figures like a lot of the tug on his back is sort of dissipated because there's no hunts left, like, unfinished other than, like, the stringer. But that's that's a bit diff- – that's a different yeah. kettle of fish, you know. There are no hunts that he has, you know, pissed off a monster and not managed to kill them. Like, there is no reason for him to assume that the thing that killed his mother is going to resurface 20-odd years fucking later. Like – Mm, like yeah. other than the prophetic visions but again we've already discussed that to death in another yeah. episode it's definitely an interesting new take he's and especially from earlier episodes in the season where he was talking about how he still wants to have friends and wants to have those connections i think it's an interesting development that as like he's continued hunting and spending more time with dean and like having those kind of discussions about connections and like learning about dean and cassie for example like mm. i think that that has probably impacted his thoughts on it as well and, like, the realities of what it would mean to form that kind of connection with someone given the life that he leads. One, like, other thing that I, like, want to know. How do they get her number? They have, like, a one-minute interaction where then they are forced to leave the venue. And then, like, later in the episode, like, literally a scene or two later, Dee's like, call her and, like, hands the phone over. Maybe they rang, like, the auction house number or something. But then what's the chances of getting the owner versus her? Mm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Maybe, maybe her number was listed on the auction like website oh, or something? Maybe. I don't know. I, I really didn't think about it that hard. It just seems so funny to me that it was just like, just call her. And I was like, fucking how? I think we should move along from there. Mm-hmm. One line. Can you guess what line I'm referring to? Low sodium freaks. Low sodium <laughs> freaks. What a line. I know. Isn't it so funny? <laughs> it's so funny. I lo- what kind of house doesn't have salt? low sodium freaks it's like damn sam <laughs> but also like they probably do have salt just like a normal amount, amount of salt, salt and they probably have like a salt shaker and that's it and that's like a normal amount like stop judging other people because they don't have like 20 kilo bags of salt oh god it's so funny i really love that line it's it's hilarious but it's also kind of like sam especially like in later seasons they really establish him as like very health conscious and so to have that line come from Sam is just really funny. If it came from Dean, it'd be, like, pretty consistent. But the fact that it comes from Sam is just, like, an extra layer of, like, oh, just funny. While we are talking about that scene, though. Oh, the line. Oh, when they're in uh, Evelyn's house? Yeah, when they're in Evelyn's house. Didn't mind the scenes where they were in Evelyn's house. Although I do have a couple of points I want to make. The first being once the body's been taken away and it's been, like, officially like made a crime scene and stuff and they break in they see all the blood on the chair where evelyn's like throat was slit is that a job for bob well no again i feel like that one gets left oh actually do you know what no committed by a a supernatural being maybe that is a job for bob i feel like bob is more like he more covers up the crime scenes so Mm. that no one can see that a crime has been committed Mm. i feel like if the crime has been committed and someone sees it, he's like, well, there's no point in me cleaning it up because they've seen it now. 
I don't know, maybe he also does like regional work. Maybe they're just like outside of his like district area. <laughs> um, but what I want to know is they slit her throat yeah. across the front of her throat. Mm-hmm. We don't really see any blood on her. Like we see her neck fall back and like open where the cut is. We don't really see a lot of blood down her front. We assume there is because that's how bleeding works. But when her body is removed, there's a bunch of blood on the chair from like where her like top of her body is down but that doesn't make any fucking sense because how would the blood look i'm gonna bring up a different issue i had the issue i have is not with the blood on the chair okay the issue i have is the fact that it looks like her head was almost fully decapitated yeah just about like it's like still holding on by like the littlest bit it goes like through to her spine yeah so like i i was just assuming that it's just because it because they cut so deep into her neck Mm. my issue is like how does a ghost cut that deep at this point, it's not just slitting the throats. Yeah, it's like nearly headless nicking them. It's nearly <laughs> decapitating them fully with a razor. I mean, it's a sharp razor. And like, I guess like ghosts could have like superhuman strength. Strength, But like the amount of force required, like I haven't got any experience in this and I haven't Googled it. I'm assuming the amount of force required to like almost fully decapitate someone with like a straight blade because it's got no weight behind it. It's not like a... Like a sword or something or where like you can get, axe. like, or an axe where you can get a decent amount of like swing, swing and like force behind it because it's got like that heft to it. So how how buff is this little girl? Because let's talk about it is a little girl, not the father. Also, oh man, the the fact that they like, I'm surprised that they had it that a young girl not only murdered two lots of families but also her like committed suicide. That seems I don't know I. I'm surprised they went that angle with a child. I'm surprised, like, even the most basic of investigations into the actual kid's death made them think that it was the father. Oh, yeah, because she would have been found with the knife. She would have been found with the fucking knife. I mean, I do understand, like, the point of, like, they wouldn't have ever believed that a little girl was capable of that. But also, like, why did they think the father was responsible? Oh, they did have, like, reports of, like, him being, like, Controlling, controlling and there were like rumors that the wife was gonna leave him and stuff so i can understand why they would jump to that conclusion but also like he didn't have the knife in hand we know that he didn't have the knife in hand because he was dead because he was <laughs> dead and the little girl killed him and then killed herself so presumably like i don't know about you but once you're dead you can't really like pass off the razor blade to somebody else to make it look like they killed all the people and then you like yeah, no, it's a, it's an interesting, it was an interesting plot choice. Mm. I think this whole episode, like, here's the thing. I really like Supernatural. You know I really like Supernatural. That's kind of the point. This episode, as much as I love Sarah, as much as I love a couple of the one-liners, this one is one of those ones where I'm kind of like, enough happens that annoys me that I don't really like the episode. I find it frustrating that, like, yeah, in the original crime, he wouldn't have been found with the murder weapon. There's, like, no conceivable way that he could have unless the little girl strategically slit her own throat in a position where her, she would fall in a way that, like, conceivably he could have dropped the knife. But even you then, know, like, doesn't make sense from a little girl's perspective because if, if she was planning on framing it on the father... Yeah. Why not kill everyone else, put the weapon in his hands... And then, like, hide, terrified and, like, terrified yeah. in the closet. That was air quotes. You can't hear on 
I just realized. That. Yeah. <laughs> but why wouldn't then she go and hide, like, and pretend to be, like, terrified in the closet or whatever? Yeah. Until, like, somebody come to find the family, and then she could talk about how he went on a rampage and he killed everyone. And, yeah. Like, it... she, like, managed to get away from him and hide because he couldn't get in to, like, get to her. And... Yeah. And it just, there are so many things in this episode where I'm like, it's just either out of character or it just, you have to really reach to make it make sense. I can usually put aside, like, one or two things in an episode because I'm like, it's TV. Mm. Like, it's of course it's going to be, like, fantastical. It's especially considering the genre. Like, I can put aside one There's a little bit of suspension of disbelief it, in TV. Yeah, exactly. But there are just so many things in this episode where I'm like, it's too many things yeah. are making me go either that's out of character as per what you've already established or it's just bit of a fucking reach or like I don't know it's I don't not like the episode but it's definitely one of my less preferred I think when I first watched it I was like yeah like I don't mind this it seems like a pretty run-of-the-mill supernatural episode Mm. but the more I think about it the more I'm like oh that didn't really make sense and that didn't really make sense at first glance you, you don't really spot the problems but then you put any amount of thought into it yeah and you spot all of the problems you know, last episode I went on a tangent about how streakers are actually vampires and not witches. Yeah, you have to care a certain amount to notice that. Yeah, but it's also like, you can sort of forgive, you know, the reinterpretation of folklore. At the end of the day, streakers aren't really real. It doesn't really matter. Like, you can forgive it for that because it's, yeah. like, it is what it is. And at least plot-wise, it makes sense for it to be a witch. Yeah. Inside, like, and they do explain why they are classing it as a witch versus a vampire. Yeah. You know, like, it's a thing that's not really noticeable, whereas this has just... It's got quite a few inconsistencies within the plot itself. Yeah, and not even that. This one's just a particularly, like, disrespectful to women. Like, as again, Sarah is a fantastic character, but... Yeah, Sam belittles her agency by saying that, like, you know, she doesn't get a choice in how capable she is of handling certain situations. He tries to tell her that she can't involve herself in anything, even though she makes a good point of, like, well, I'm, you know, not necessarily responsible, but I have a feeling of responsibility for these deaths. There's also, like, Dean at the start of the episode, like, flirting with these women and blatantly lying to them and, like, making a joke out of the fact that these women are believing the lie that he's presenting them, which is just shitty behavior you know he's promising them things that he knows full well he's never going to deliver on then you also have later in the episode sarah is trying to make a point to sam about like oh my god like it's the doll she's connected to the doll and he completely dismisses her and it's just like bro she is literally in the middle of saving your fucking life you dumbass like don't dismiss her it's it's just very frustrating she's using her in Intensive knowledge of history and antiques. Yeah. To save your fucking life and you're currently dismissing all of the knowledge that she's accumulated over yeah, years. Yeah, like, she's like, like, oh, we used to, like, sell antique dolls through the thing. He's like, wow, interesting. Not really relevant right now. And she's like, yes, it is. And here's Do why. Do you not remember the fucking creepy doll in the tomb? Like... Yeah. Or, like, even... And, like, this is a funny moment. So, like, I, I do appreciate it as just, like, a moment of comedic relief. When Dean is trying to get into the doll and he's like banging the glass and like hitting it with the gun, and then yeah. he goes, Come on, Dean! And then he like shoots the glass. Yeah. Because obviously, like, it's a nice comedic moment. But I also think, like, just on top of all the other moments in the episode where they kind of played Dean as this like sort of yeah. incapable 
and sort of stupid yeah. and kind of just very shallow. It's so frustrating. If it was that one moment of isolation, it's like... Mm. It would be really, yeah. really funny. And it is funny. One moment in isolation is significantly different to this episode that the entire way through they're painting Dean as somebody who doesn't understand the realities of the world they are living in and what they need to do to be able to help people. Yeah. They're painting him as someone who doesn't realise that whether you think of it as he was trying to set Sam up or whether he genuinely lost his wallet, either way, it's an idiotic move. And Going, just, returning to the scene of the crime unnecessarily. Yeah. yeah. It just... There's all this stuff. And, like, also you got to remember, like, in their brains... Like, the painting's gone. Yeah, it's it's just ridiculous. There are so many little things in this episode where they're just like, oh, Dean's dumb. And it's like, I could have just forgiven the moment with the doll behind glass. If it had been a single episode, uh, sorry, a single moment in the episode where he was kind of stupid. Because, okay, he did the moment, he just didn't fucking think of it. That happens sometimes, you know what yeah. I mean? Yeah, well, exactly. And, like, the thing is, like I was saying, like, and like you've said, like, it could be really comedic and, like, used to great effect. And it could be a very humanising moment for this character who's sort of... But, like, they just show him as so incompetent in the rest of the episode and yeah. it just doesn't make sense based on everything we've seen in the previous 18 episodes. Yeah, you're right. No, it doesn't make any fucking sense. Sorry, I am paying attention. I'm just trying to look and see who actually wrote it. Written by David Ehrman. I don't know the name. I think he literally only wrote the one episode. Yeah, he. So the writer who wrote this episode uh, is a gentleman by the name of David Ehrman. I know literally nothing about him, and it's because this is the only episode he wrote. So I, I have to assume that it was like. Like we've spoken about before, there are some writers who return again and again and again and again, and you can pick when they have written an episode, and you can kind of predict what the structure of the episode will be or what themes they might touch on based on who wrote it. But this guy, he only wrote the one episode, so. Um, one thing that I do want to point out that's just kind of funny is at the end of the episode, first of all, Dean's salty that he doesn't get the gratuitous, like, thanks and kiss and thing, which I'm kind of like, bro. You've spent this entire episode <sighs> forcing Sam at this woman. I know. And I then know. you're surprised when she doesn't feel, like, I know. grateful it's... toward... It's just another, it's again, another thing on the pile of things in this episode where I'm just like, you're just doing this character a disservice. But anyway, so Sam goes back and they do the whole like kiss moment. When they initially kiss, Jared's nose is like completely folded to one side. It's so funny. His nose is too big and it doesn't fit in line with her face. I don't know if you noticed this. If you didn't, it's so funny. I notice it literally every single time. It's just, like, they kind of push their faces together and, like, his nose just folds and it's it's really funny. I think so, anyway. I didn't spot that, so I have no Here we comment. go. Here's the picture. Look at his nose. It's just, like, fully folded. What the fuck it's, is that? It's harder. It's, like, harder to tell when you're not, like, watching the actual episode. But, like, it's, yeah, it's just completely folded and it's very funny to me. Okay, let's pivot away from whatever the hell that was. Yeah. <laughs> um, I just want to say now, for the record, I love creepy little girls. Like, it's like we're reverting to our true state. Like, every woman has a creepy little girl inside of her. And so I really love it when, like, creepy little girls are the villain. Like in The Benders, when they had the creepy little girl. Missy. Yeah. Missy fucking loved it. 
Look, as much as I don't appreciate some things about this episode, I always really appreciate when they give us a creepy little girl villain. Like, I as do much as it logically doesn't villain. make sense that she's like the villain in terms of like the story, you know, the yeah. storyline, and the way that she becomes a ghost, etc. Like, I as a character, I really love when they go like full creepy with the girls, and she's there, and she's got like I kind of really like the special effects makeup they did on the actor. Yeah. Oh, sorry, the little actress who plays the creepy little girl when she's, like, the ghost. Yeah. Because, like, it's subtle enough. It's not, like, the full, like, sunken in, like, white skin cheeks. It's just, like, yeah. her eyes are slightly dark and, like, she's just creepy. She's kind of greyed out. She's greyed out a little bit, but she's not, like, they didn't go, like, the half-half thing. Like, they just added, like, a hint of death. Yeah, a hint of death. <laughs> a hint of death. And she's, like, dragging the doll behind her. Which, like, creepy as fuck that they make yeah. the dolls with their own hair. like. And I do like that as, like, a twist, as, like, a different yeah. form of tether, like we've seen a couple of times in the season. Like, that I thought was really fun, that they made the doll yeah. the thing. Yeah. And actually, it didn't hit me that it was the girl and the doll until they specifically pointed out the doll in the crypt scene. Yeah, okay. Like, I did think it was going to be the father, and that's just the way they were going to go. Yeah. But then when they found, like... The, the toys. The toys. I was thinking maybe the doll is like a demon or some shit. Oh, like, oh, not Chucky. What's that? Yeah, like, like um, Chucky's bride. Yeah, but I was thinking of Robert the doll, which is like a different... Yeah. Yeah. So I was thinking maybe that's what was doing it. And then because in the portrait, it does have the doll in the portrait. So mm. I was thinking maybe it's like a bit like the Weeping Angels in Doctor Who. Where it's like, it's not just the statue itself, it is mm. all visual representations of the statues become weeping angels. I was thinking it's not the father, I wasn't thinking it's the little girl, and I wasn't thinking like it's the little girl who originally murdered all the people. Yeah. Because, like, again, like, it didn't occur to me because. Why would you assume that? Why would I assume that based on the fact that, like, obviously, if the evidence of the day was the father murdered all of the kids and then killed himself. He would have still been holding the razor. Like, yeah. Like, they would have never drawn the conclusion of that if he wasn't holding the razor, which apparently they did. But I didn't think that would have been a possibility. I figured he was found, like, knife in hand. You yeah. know what I mean? I tell you what, to be fair to... Like, I know we were saying before, like, it didn't make any fucking sense, like, that they decided to go that way with the plot and the murder that way. But to be entirely fair, if I've learned anything from enjoying true crime and particularly historical true crime it's that the police work is always a bit fucking shoddy and a bit biased and a bit often like bribery is involved or like various like forms of collusion you know there's always like there's always some corruption involved and it's always a bit like well they probably should have interviewed this person but they just kind of didn't Sort of thing. So, I, you know, as much shit as we, we gave the reality of that, like, murder story, I feel like, given it was, like, in 1893, mm. and, you know, they had this sort of preconceived idea of, like, the father, and I don't think it's a huge It would have been surprising that they only did police work that would support their theory that they already believed. But it's, yeah. I don't know, like, I just, I love creepy little girls. I was what that originally started. Yeah. <laughs> um, There's an episode know. in... I think season two that you're really gonna like. Creepy little girl. Yeah, 
it's something about like I don't know, just like the way that the media likes to portray like young girls and young women as like innocent and dainty and like you know uncorruptible and like objects for consumption, objects for consumption and that. And I so I sort of really just love when it's like, oh no 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 no, like she looks like young and innocent and naive. She'll literally murder you. She will literally slit your throat with a razor blade, like. I don't know, something about that I just really enjoy, like, personally, on a personal level. Like, that's not a comment to, like, <laughs> the quality of anything. I'm just saying, like... As a trope. As a trope, I really enjoy creepy young girls. I would just like to say, though, this is the first ever episode that I have seen of Supernatural where they don't drive off listening to rock music. The episode oh. does not end with them driving off listening to rock music. Did you notice that? No. Okay. <laughs> I so, didn't. I've got to hide in my corner of shame. <laughs> I didn't notice it, but I'm glad that you did. Was this was this a, a positive for you, a negative for you, or are you neutral and you're just observing it? I enjoyed the fact they did something different, but I don't think I enjoyed what they did well enough to be like, yes, this was great, this was fantastic. You know what I mean? Mm, yeah, no, that's like, fair. Enough. I kind of get now why they because they don't know what to do otherwise. Like, if they don't have them driving off listening to rock music, what? How are they going to end the episode, Bethany? Yeah. How are they going to do it? And the answer is they just don't. Oh, just wait. Like, till it just the, sort of ends. Just wait till there's this there's one finale, which is like... Do you remember I told you there was... Oh, a, season 15? <laughs> look, we're not even going to touch <laughs> that with a fucking 10-foot pole. Um, do you remember I told you there was like an episode, which was a finale, where they used um, wires and it just was horrendous? Yeah. They end that episode on a legit freeze frame. And it's so tacky. Is it like really scratch hard did I get? Literally, it's so bad. And it's, oh man, I don't know what was in the water on set that day. I don't know what possessed them to do that. It was such a, it was a shit show, that one. But yes, no. So you can look forward to that in a few seasons time. (laughs) Okay, moving on from that. I haven't done my PSA yet. You haven't done your PSA? Yeah, no, I almost forgot. I didn't. I remembered it at the last minute. What do you think my PSA is going to be this week? I literally haven't got a clue. You haven't got a clue. You sure? Yes. It is the most mundane of mundane. You are going to be like, that doesn't need to be a PSA. Jamie and I'm going to be like, you're wrong. It does because I do it to myself every single goddamn day. And that is, do not stay up late if you have to be up early in the morning. (sighs) That PSA is so unnecessary for me. For me personally, because literally yesterday, I shit you not... I was like, oh, it's, I'm t- kind of tired. I might start thinking about getting ready to bed. Do you want to know what time it was? Like eight? It was 6.48 p.m. I looked at my, I was, I said to my roommate, I was like, oh, I'm kind of tired. I think I might like start getting ready to bed. I literally look at my phone and I was like, it is 12 to seven. I cannot go to bed. I have to stay awake. How does it feel, Bethany? You just exposed yourself as a nerd. I, a nerd, I exposed myself as an early morning person. I Even worse. I've been waking up at 5am. Unintentionally, I might add. My alarm goes off at 6. But 5am. I literally, this morning, I woke up from a nightmare this morning. Do you want to know what my nightmare was? It's kind of relevant. What, staying up to 2am? Uh, no. My nightmare was that I was making dinner and everything that I made kept disappearing. And I felt like, it was like I was being gaslit by a ghost. Like... I kid you not, I was dreaming that I was making dinner and I'd like 
fried some like sausage or something and like I was talking to my roommate in the dream and I was making the sausage and then I had already lost something like earlier that week and I was saying to her I was like I keep losing things I was like I swear someone is like hiding something from me I was like I still haven't found that thing that I lost last week and she was like oh that's weird and I turned back around and everything that I'd made the pan that I had used and everything was still sitting there but it was suddenly clean the sausage was nowhere and like the other stuff that I like prepped was not there and I was like Am I going insane? I was like, you literally saw me fry that sausage, right? And she was like, oh, and I was like freaking out. And then, you know, in Bloody Mary, how we were talking about how it's freaky when you can only see the ghost in like the mirror reflections. I could only see this ghost in reflections. And it was so scary. And she was like this seven foot tall woman in like, in like very pale and like, she just had like dead eyes. But then you know how sometimes your dream changes like mid- yeah. thing. Suddenly she had like seven eyes and they were all around her face and she had like one mouth right in the middle of her face and it was horrifying. She had a knife and I kept freaking out in the dream because no one else could see her and no one else was being gaslit by the fucking ghost. Anyway, I kept, things kept going missing and I kept freaking out and then I kept glimpsing her and I was trying to explain to my roommates and they were like, you're literally insane and then I woke up and it was 5am and I did not get back to sleep. <laughs> so what I did was lie in bed for an hour and then I watched the episode of Supernatural so that I could talk about it with you when you got here at 10. So moving on from my PSA, which just because it's not applicable to Beth does not mean it's not (laughs) valid, I want to talk about the special effects. Okay. And the burning special effects. Okay. Is this what they switched to? Like, I remember I remember in the pilot episode, I'm like wow, that's a weird, like, dragging down the, like, portal. Oh yeah, that's horrible, yeah. (laughs) Is this what they switched to? Like, Um, this burning special effect? Is is this what it is Well, they, like, kind of burn her from the bottom up. Yeah. Yeah, essentially. It, like, gets, like, more refined as they, like, continue with it. But, yeah, essentially they kind of just, like... Actually, no, okay. So, you know how they burned the hair of the Mm. doll because that's the part that was, like, tied to her? So, it kind of usually starts with whatever part of the spirit is being burned. Like, if they're burning the whole body, it's just kind of, like, from the bottom up. Mm. But, like, if they had been burning, say... I don't know. Like, it makes sense that they she burned from the bottom up because it was burning the doll, which she yeah. was dragging on the floor behind her. But if she hadn't had the doll, it would have probably started burning with her hair and then spread. Mm. But yes, no, that's more of the effect that they use so it's moving forward. better than the pilot effect, but it's still a bit like... I mean, it's not ideal, oh. but like, I actually don't mind it. I quite like the, like, sy- like not the, sim- the symmetry. I quite like the symmetry between the burning of the bones or the tether or whatever it is and the burning of the spirit kind of simultaneously because it sort of shows the link between the two, I think, pretty effectively. Yeah. Well, then what did they do in Hookman then? Because they don't burn in Hookman. He, he, like, melts, which I think is because the silver, silver melts, melts, which jury's still out on that one. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I think it's because the silver melts, therefore he melts. It's a choice. I do apologise, I feel like this episode has been particularly negative, but I mean, it's bound to happen sooner or later that we would come across an episode that I don't inherently adore. Um, (laughs) I mean, also the previous episode was pretty positive. Here's the thing. I love most of Supernatural, I do. But there is like some episodes where there's just too much to put aside for me to like enjoy it as much as the others. Racist monster truck. Racist monster truck. There's also one... Bees? (laughs) Bees, no. I see... Oh, even, I think bugs, even bugs I like because of like I think it has saving grace in the character exposition and in like the symmetry between like Larry and Matt and Sam and John and like the way that Sam and Dean argue about 
the relationship between Sam, like, I feel like that is enough of a saving grace and like the, you know, the bugs are creepy and you know, like whatever. Even putting aside the shitty CGI and the fact that it doesn't fucking make sense with the curse and like how do they live, who knows. I can I can still enjoy it as an episode because of the saving graces. But in this particular episode, I feel like the characterization doesn't make any fucking sense. It's inconsistent. It doesn't further their development in any way, except maybe Sam talking about Jess, but even that feels shallow because he barely fucking mentions it. It just, there is nothing to save for me personally. There are too many cons to outweigh the positives. Sorry, I've harped on about this enough. Anyway... How would you rate this episode out of five in comparison with, obviously, the other episodes? I think I'm going to give it a two stars. I would give it more because, like, I don't hate the concept of it. Yeah. Like, the killer painting, the creepy little girl, all of it. I like individual pieces of it. There are good elements. But it's just, it's, like, assembled in a way that, for me, it just... You had me in the first half, not going to lie. At first I was watching, I'm like... It's a solid base. It seems like a pretty standard, like, run-of-the-mill supernatural episode. Like It's a filler it's, salt and burn. Yeah. Yeah. It's got an interesting concept. Like, it's... Cool character. Cool character. And then it just sort of, like... It takes all that. It's like getting an Ikea table and putting it together wrong. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Like, it has all... The components. All the components are there. Like, it's got a fun side character in Sarah. It's got, you know... The boys being sort of fish out of water in like the upper class art world. Yeah. It's got, you know, a creepy little girl as the main antagonist. Yeah. It's got the lovely little plot twist in there of it's not the father, it's the girl. Yeah. It's got the building on like the doll actually became a tether for the girl. Yeah, the intricacies of like the images in the painting being slightly different to the original and then being able to puzzle it together from that. Like, that's a really fun, interesting concept. It's got the true crime nerd at the library. Who I adore, yeah. But then it's just like they've just put them together slightly wrong. And like the... Yeah. Or even like they've got this table, right? And it's meant to be glued together and they've used the wrong glue. And now like... It's all sort of, of falling apart. pieces that should have worked together really nicely and made like a gorgeous table is sort of just falling apart. Yeah. No, I think that's like a pretty yeah. good analogy. Because you're right. Like there's good bones... It just feels like it was fleshed out wrong. Low-sodium freaks. Low-sodium freaks. (laughs) See, then again, like, there are even some great one-liners. I just feel like they're wasted on this episode that is just kind of overall messy. Yeah. And it, it doesn't... It feels out of place. Anywho, the next episode is called Dead Man's Blood, episode 20. Do you have any predictions, ideas, thoughts? So the only thing... That's sort of like coming to me is like Dead Man's Chest from Pirates of the Caribbean. Oh, so they're gonna hunt like a ghost ship. Yeah. Yep, <laughs> Davy yep. Jones is yep, like yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But instead of being like the heart trapped in like the chest, it's like a single vial of blood. Ooh. Yeah. Fancy. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, cool. So I think that it just about sums everything up for today's episode. Um, if you wanted to interact with us a little bit more, you can always find Jamie over on Twitter at DriverPixPod. Uh, feel free to send her some kitchen inspo ideas. I'm sure she'd appreciate them. But if you want to interact with Bethany, you can find her over on Tumblr at DriverPixThePodcast. And I think she just really wants to know what your favourite examples of bad historical police work are. Oh, I would but, actually love that. <laughs> send her every true crime story you know of where the conclusion the police came to makes no sense like 
I want some balls to the wall like these cops were on cocaine sort of levels. <laughs> Bad police work. Sounds incredible. Anyway, uh, thank you for listening. Uh, sorry again, it was a little bit of a n- negative bashing one this week. but It's uh, okay. Bethany's allowed to become me every once in a while. The issue is I, I don't become Bethany, so it's sort of like... <laughs> I can't love everything. <laughs> anyway, thank you so much for listening. Hopefully we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.